This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome to a special Life Beats interview with me, Sally Musa. And I used to wait for for the mother, for her to come back. Because I want to give her a piece of my mind. Because I want to tell her I'm a better mom. Because I think I'm a better mom. But then 10 minutes into the conversation, I, it's just a slap in the face. Oscar, Golden Globe and BAFTA-nominated Lebanese director Nadine Labaki sits down with me to talk how motherhood helped her make her most acclaimed film to date. How she directed this stunning piece of cinema, plus why the story of Zayn in Kafarnahom had to be told. That's next, here on Life Feeds on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. 95. Nadine Lebeki's latest film is a testament to what happens when children end up being the ones who pay for the crimes of others. It's the heart-wrenching story of Zayn, one of many invisible children that have been abandoned by the system and seemingly abandoned by their own families. Kafarnahom is Lebeki's third directorial feature with three years of research, six months of shooting and two years of editing to create this cinematic masterpiece, which director Steven Spielberg has called one of the best films of the year. I sat down with Nadine Lebeki and asked her why it was so vitally important for her to create this film. I want to start off by asking you, why you wanted to make this film. This was not an easy film for you to make. What was it? I, I think uh, the, the contrary would be, um, for me, would be surprising. I mean, for me, this film felt like a duty. It's not even a choice. When you 
think when you live in a place like the Arab world, like Lebanon, more specifically, a country that has hosted, you know, over a million and a half refugees, the fact that it's uh, been struggling with its own economical problems and political problems, I think it reflects mostly on children. You see it reflecting on children, and it's not a problem that you hear about on the news. It's not like an abstract thing that you don't see. You see it on a daily basis. You see it uh, when you're, you know, you 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 see children on the streets begging, or or or, or selling gum, or selling flowers, or um, working, uh, ha carrying heavy loads. Uh, and I think I, I think you can't. I think help, but want to do something about it. I think I would be a, in a way collaborating in this crime if I stay silent. And I just decided to use my tool, which is filmmaking, and uh, and I, I and I decided to make a film about it to, to, because it's it's a different thing than actually humanizing the problem and putting a face on the problem. When you see a child struggling, when you see a family struggling, or a mother or father, or a human being simply struggling, I think, I think you empathize differently. It's not like you hear about it somewhere in figures and numbers. You're actually seeing it. And it's important. It, I think it's, it, it felt more like a duty, really. Do you, the, the incredible thing is actually um, that we do see these kids, like you said, in the streets uh, when you are in the Middle East, but we don't see them. This is yes. the first time we've you look, seen them. You don't see. Right. This is the first time we've seen a film that shows us who they are, which was, uh, it took us by surprise. Mm. It was very important for me to show the behind the scenes <laughs> because I was in that, in that same situation. I, you know, I used to wonder who is this boy who is standing, you know, next to my uh, car window, looking at me, not looking at him, because this is unfortunately what when, what we tend to do most of the times is that we look away because we think that the problem is too big. You don't know how to start. You don't know where to start. So sometimes you decide to just not look because you feel helpless. You feel uh, hopeless. You feel why do I and you are in, in, I think you are facing this dilemma whether to help the child, uh, to give him money or not to give him money. For many different reasons, you can decide to do this or not, but we feel hopeless because we think that the problem is too big for us to solve it. So most of the time we look away. Yeah. So this time I just decided I want to know how does it feel for him to be so invisible? How does it feel to, for him to look at me, um, not look at him? Yeah. Uh, and I was, it was at the time, I think, where we, we, we were seeing lots of different images, you know, throughout social media, throughout the internet, of children across the world um, suffering. And it was, I remember very well seeing uh, Alan Kurdi, you know, this, uh, this uh, refugee child, the Syrian refugee child who was found dead in Turkey. On the beach. On the, the beach. Washed up on the beach. Yes. I think it's, a, it's an image that shook the world. And I, was, I remember thinking, if this child could talk, what would he say? How would he describe 
the world he's living in? How do how would he address us, the adults that failed him, that put him in this situation? And I just wanted, in a way, to become their voice, to try to be the platform for them to express themselves, to express their view of the world. And this is how Zane was born. The character of Zane in this film was born. The introduction to Zane is, um, it stuns us because we see him, he is a child who is actually older than he looks. And he is in a courtroom and the judge asks him why he's there. And he says, because I want to sue my parents. Just like that. Like he's spitting in the face of Of the the world. Exactly. It was exactly this. For me, he's suing the whole world. And it was very much inspired by what the children used to tell me. I remember very well uh, one incident. I was coming back from uh, a dinner, a party. I don't know. I don't remember very well what it was. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And I I see at the crossroad, at the you know lights, I see a child sitting on a cement block with his mother. And it was this very tiny thing and he couldn't sleep because it was so uncomfortable he will he couldn't lie down he had to stay up sitting down so he was not able to sleep and he kept dozing off with his head dangling over you know his body and i remember thinking you know being very angry like everyone else and thinking how did we get to this point how did we get to a point where we live with ourselves allowing such a crime we've def- deprived him from his most basic right, which is only sleeping. He didn't want anything at that moment. He just wanted to close his eyes and sleep, but he couldn't. And I went home, of course, because this is what you usually do. You go on with your life. I went home and I was sitting in my bed and I started drawing. Coming up next, find out what Nadine started drawing, which became the starting point for the film, Kafarnahom. And she talks how she found the movie's extraordinary lead, 12-year-old Zain Rafia. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Welcome back to Life Beats on Pulse 95. I'm in conversation with Nadine Labaki about her highly acclaimed film, Kafar Nahom. And here she talks about the moment of inspiration which became the starting point for the film. Plus, she talks about how she found the film's breathtaking lead actor, Zane Rafia. How did we get to this point? How did we get to a point where we live with ourselves, allowing such a crime? We've deprived him from his most basic right, which is only sleeping. He didn't want anything at that moment. He just wanted to close his eyes and sleep, but he couldn't. And I went home, of course, because this is what you usually do. You go on with your life. I went home and I was sitting in my bed and I started drawing. Before that, I was, you know, talking to the universe, you know, thinking, okay, it's not enough. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm crying, I'm, I'm angry with myself, I am disgusted with who I am. But what else can I do? 
just give me the strength to do something about it. And I was sitting down in my bed and I started drawing the face of a child. And he had this, uh, his uh, mouth wide open and he was shouting at adults standing in front of him. This was in 2014 or, or, or 2013. This was the start. And this, when I look back at the film, it was actually, it's Zane standing in front of the judge and saying, no more. You, uh, you can't do this to me anymore. This court scene is, is, is him, yes, saying to the world, you don't deserve me. You don't deserve us. You don't deserve us children being born in your disgusting world, be, being born in the chaos you've created. You don't deserve us. So it really, it was now, I, it's, um, it's like you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together and everything from a distance makes sense. I know why I drew this now. I know how it developed into becoming this film a few years down the line. Back then, I didn't know what it was going to end up being, that this is going to be the scene, the first scene, one of the first scenes of my film. So it's like this, you know, that so sometimes, you know, things make sense. You just understand, but you, it, needs, it needs time. And everything, you know, everything was a, was a build-up, I think. Everything I did from that moment on led me to, to where I am here now. How on earth did you find Zayn? Zayn Rafiya yes. is an extraordinary young man. Yes. His, he carried the film. He is. With giant shoulders. He is an extraordinary human being. How, <laughs> how does a child... I yeah. mean, you know, obviously it you was a miracle. Yeah, you know, it was some. Uh, I sometimes I believe I believe that we were destined to meet. We were destined to work together. We were destined to find each other, because he changed me as much as I changed. I mean, we changed each other, and it was a mission that we were both collaborating in in a, in a way. As soon as I saw him, my casting director saw him on the streets, and because what we do is like a wild street casting where they go everywhere, they film people on the streets. In, in those very difficult neighborhoods and all that. So my casting director saw him. And of course, as soon as she saw him, she recognized a, a talent. And so she filmed him, she interviewed him. And as soon as I saw the interview, I knew. So I asked her to bring him to the office. So he comes to the office and he was, he was tiny. He, he was 12 years old, but he would look like he was seven. And as soon as he started speaking, I couldn't believe my ears and my eyes. How can a boy that small be so clever, be so wise, be so charismatic, so strong, such a personality? And as soon as I saw him, I knew this boy could not only be destined to the life that he has now. Zayn was deprived from school. He didn't even know how to write his own name at the point where we were shooting, where we started, where we met. And uh, he was in a very, very difficult circumstance. He was living very difficult circumstances. He, he was struggling every day of his life to even survive. So I thought, it's impossible. This cannot be his destiny. And I knew. I knew from the moment I saw him. Coming up, Lebeki tells me how she went about directing the film and why researching it made her break down her own judgments 
and misconceptions. Keep it here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Welcome back to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. I'm in conversation with world-renowned Lebanese filmmaker Nadine Lavaki, and I discuss with her her multi-award-winning film, Kafar Nahum. Here she tells me about the misconceptions that broke down for her as she researched the project and how her own journey into motherhood helped her to make the film. How did you direct him, though? Because as well, you know, the, the other star of this film is a baby. It's yes. an infant. Another miracle of life. Another yes. miracle of life. Yeah. Treasure. Treasure. She, uh, and she is a treasure. Uh, she's incredible. They both are incredible. Yeah. Every single person in this cast is phenomenal. They're <laughs> in, an am- amazing cast. How did you go about directing the film? The, the most, I think, important ingredient was time. Time and love. It might sound very like cliche, but it's really love and time. It's the fact that um, I fell in love with all those characters and and all those people and and uh, in their life. Sahar as well. Fell in love with their personality, every one of them. The and girl Sahar is just something. So it starts with being fascinated with their personality and then wanting to in a way, uh, you know, put a magnifying glass on on who they are and try to become the vehicle for them to express who they are and express themselves and express their struggle. And then you need time. You need time to build this confidence, to build this trust feel, uh, relationship. Um, and then when you build this relationship, it takes time for them to understand the mission that they are in. And I think also when you are working with children, you have to know that you, especially children who are not actors, you're really, and who are children who have never been to school, who have, you know, been raised almost on the streets, uh, who know what deprivation and hunger and mistreatment and abuse is. Um, These are children that are very raw. They're very... It's a raw nature. It's a nature that hasn't been altered by society's codes of conduct or hypocrisy mm. or they're just wild. They're just with their, you know, instinct, with survival instinct. So so you need to know how to work with that. Mm. You can't change them into becoming somebody else. You just have to work with who they are and create the right space for them to just react the right way and not act. Just be themselves in a certain situation that we have created as filmmakers, as writers, as so we create the situation. You have to be clever uh, in, in creating these situations yeah. for them to react the right way. Because give you gave them, them the freedom. freedom. Yes, yeah. you have to give them free- You can't really paralyze them by giving them marks or telling them you have to stand in the light or you have to go from this point to this point. They have to do have what's to instinct. No marks, no, uh, no, not, no lines uh, to remember... Um, you just have to know who they are and work with their instinct and navigate it, navigate their truth 
towards the fiction that was written because there's a written fiction, there's a story, there's a script, there's a story that you need to tell. But you have to na navigate to get there. Yeah. You can't get, you can't expect to say action and for them to act the way you want them to act, especially mm -hmm. when you're working with children. And I think also the fact that also I am a mother at that point, my, my, my own daughter was treasure's age and I was breastfeeding her at the same time also. So I was seeing in Jordanus a mirror and and I, I knew, I knew when Treasure was going to be sleepy, when she was going to be hungry, when she was going to be moody, when she was going to be happy. I knew, I knew her. I knew what she needed. Maybe because I was in that same situation at that time of my life. I don't think I would have written the same scenes or I would have shot the scenes the same way if I was not myself in this situation. It's something about knowing very, very deeply what goes on. Exactly, yeah. particularly for a child of that age as well. Um, speaking of parenthood, it's interesting because initially we think the parents are the villains in this story and then it were taken by surprise because yes. actually Not. They're, they're victims of their own circumstance and then suddenly you see the cycle Exactly. And you begin to empathize with them. Exactly. This was the aim. Because it's the reality. It's the truth. You can't. It's not black or white. And I was myself in this situation so many times, in this judgmental situation, unfortunately. During my research, sometimes I would see kids in, ex in neglect that you cannot imagine. Extreme cases of neglect. I would go into apartments where I see children on their own the whole day feeding themselves pow powder milk because they don't have water, cold, hungry, blue from the cold, in wet pajamas all day long. Um, it's children who don't react anymore. They've been so traumatized. They've been so mistreated and neglected. Um, they're in a state of trauma where they, they're numb. They don't react. They don't play. They don't laugh. They don't dance. They don't cry. They don't do anything. They don't even, you know, you, put, you give them a toy, they don't play with it. With it, They're so neglected because nobody talks to them the whole day. Mm. So there's nothing there, nothing. So I used to be very angry with the parents most of the time. Who are these parents? How can they put their children in such a state? How can she marry her child at 11 years old? How can she leave her child all day long? And I used to wait for, for the mother, for her to come back because I want to give her peace of my mind, because I want to tell her I'm a better mom. I want to, because I think I'm a better mom. That's all of us making that judgment yes. every day. But then 10 minutes into the conversation, I, it's just a slap in the face. It's just every single misjudgment and misconception and, and I, I, I have just because you know you feel you don't have the right to judge i've never been in her shoes i've never been in her situation i've never been so deprived so neglected so marginalized i've never i've never been that invisible in my life i cannot judge i've never had to sell my child because this is selling i think to a, to a man because because i think she's she might be better off where she is or she might eat at least or she might sleep in a warm bed or because I want to feed my other children or because I want to maybe uh, protect her from uh, from rape or from so you can't judge they, 
they're all part of one vicious circle and one uh, failing system that mm. is not finding any solutions. So it ends up, you know, marginalizing all these people. Tell us about uh, the calling the film Capernaum. Why did you call it that? Capernaum means it's originally it's um, it's a village, a biblical village that was cursed by Jesus. But it was also a village where Jesus made his first miracles. So for me, I've, I've always used that word in French literature, especially Capernaum, to impress my teacher <laughs> when I was a child. Because, you know, you can use the word chaos, you can use the word disorder, but I wanted to use more sophisticated words. So I remember very well using that word, and it stayed with me. And I was very surprised later on that very few people knew what it meant. Mm. But uh, it means chaos. It means chaos. And for me, you know, when we started exploring what this film is going to be about, uh, it was very obvious for me that, you know, we're all we're living in one big chaos. And uh, in French, Capernaum was the most... Uh, I mean, it's, this was very symbolic for me. It, was, it started with the title, actually. Chaos and Miracles. And Miracles. Yeah. Because, yes... And miracles kept happening the whole time. Coming up next, Nadine talks about what she and her composer-producer husband, Khadim Mzannar, went through to bring this film to the world. It's amazing. Plus, what the accolades for this film mean to her and for filmmaking here in the Middle East. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. It's Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, and I'm in conversation with Oscar-nominated filmmaker Nadine Labaki, all about her new film, Kafarnahom. Here she tells me why this film is so important for sparking change for the children it portrays and why she says that being a female filmmaker is, in fact, her strength. Tell me about the reaction that you got to the film and when you got the 15-minute standing ovation, yes. the, the Oscars, the, the reception that the film has received. It's another miracle <laughs> happening, you know, miracles kept happening this, the, all, all the time. And the fact, you know, this film is a homemade film. This is a film that we made on our own. My husband produced it. He didn't have any experience producing. Yeah, I heard that he, was, he had to mortgage the house to yeah, make it happen. He had to mortgage the house to be able to, to start, to continue the whole adventure. And we had no money and, and, and you know, apart from the fact that he had to do this very complicated beautiful music, he had to work on the produ producing side and 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 we so we literally it was a homemade film. We we because we had no money, we had a very uh, limited uh, you know resources. We did the editing, the post production, the music, everything in the same building where we live on the first floor, and we live on the third floor. It allowed me also to be close to my the, my my children. Um, my cinematographer and editor lived in that first floor, so everything was it's it's a really organically made. Uh, so for us to be, and nobody knew what we were doing. We were we started shooting not knowing when we were going to stop. So we shot for six months, edited for two years, and without any 
body knowing. We showed the film when it was done. So to be able to be able to show this film on such huge platforms and to be in all those festivals and to be selected in all those very pre prestigious competitions is just another miracle happening. And, 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 and it's a big victory also for everybody, not only for the people who worked on the film, but for the actors. Of who, course. Who were invisible in their real life. And now they're not only visible, they're shining. His life has changed. Yes. Zayn. Yes. Another miracle also. Zayn is now in Norway. He is, he's been resettled thanks to the UNHCR in Norway with all his family. Everybody's going to school. It's a new life. It's a new beginning. Uh, and everyone is in school now. All the kids are in school. Nobody's on the streets anymore. Nobody's roaming the streets. And, 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 and I mean, it's not still ideal for everyone, but we're working on it and we've created this foundation and... I need to ask you what's, uh, how it makes you feel to be the first Lebanese female to be nominated for an Oscar. What that means for the region's filmmaking as well, the voices. Yeah. Because the, the Middle Eastern voices, authentic Middle Eastern voices have been absent from, uh, from filmmaking at the very top. What does that mean? It means a lot and to be able to put Lebanon on the map on such a big level is a huge victory. I mean, it. I, 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 I feel in a way, there's a whole nation behind mm -hmm. the film. Um, I was very touched, you know, when I when we received the Oscar um, diploma, and you open it and 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 you read, Lebanon. It's Lebanon that is nominated. It's not me. So it's like it was a big thing for me to see that it's the whole it's a whole country that's been represented here, and when you grow up hearing all the time you come from a this small invisible dot on the map nothing is possible for you this is a huge victory this is what we grew up thinking we come from lebanon we can't achieve anything we're such you know we're such an invisible small country nothing good happens to us we're like a doomed cursed place to be able to do that is is huge it's yeah. amazing yeah. and your advice for other aspiring filmmakers, particularly women who want to tell stories? Yes, I mean, for me, I hope, I hope it's giving hope to many women who want to express themselves. Uh, the fact that we are women shouldn't be any, any kind of fear. On the contrary, I've never felt the fear because I'm a woman. It's difficult to make films anyway, and it's as difficult for a man. This is something I can assure them. It's difficult to make films in general, so they shouldn't feel like it's difficult because they are women. I've never felt the difficulty because I'm a woman, and maybe that's why I never reflected any kind of doubt on anyone's face. I've never seen doubt on anybody's face. I've never seen, I've never felt fragile because I'm a woman. On the contrary, it was my, it was my strength. I think it was really my strength because I bring a new voice, because I bring an alternative view on the world. Uh, I bring. I don't think a man would have done the same film. I'm not saying it would have done. I don't. I'm not saying it would have. It's better or it's worse. I'm saying it's a different approach to life, approach to 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 everything. So it's very important, and I hope it gives hope to many women who want to express themselves but who are afraid or who don't dare to dream because they are women on the contrary it's your strength what's next for you 
Uh, now I'm, you know, we're working on a documentary about the film also, and the next really big aim is to really be able to to make a change on the ground and 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 for this film to become much more than just a discussion among among people. We really have to start working on the ground. How will it become something that is going to really inspire real change? Uh, I think it's I think it's really talking about it, showing it to the government, showing it to different, you know, um, ministries and showing it to judges and lawyers, talking about it, organizing roundtables, really talking about it. I, I have to use my voice now in order to make a change. Well, we're going to use our voices as well. Nadine Labaki, so. <laughs> what an absolute pleasure. What an incredible film and an amazing message. Thank you thank so you. much. Oh, thank you. Yes, you heard right. Khadid Mzannar, Nadine's composer husband, he actually mortgaged their home without telling Nadine so that she could just focus on making the film. I mean, that that is just incredible. An amazing act of love and dedication to this unbelievable project. It's astonishing. It deserves all of the accolades and it is a film that you must see. It is released across the UAE today. That is Kafar Nahum from Nadine Lebeki. That's it for us here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. We're going to be back with you again next week for a very big week. Have a great weekend and see you then. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.